The Catholics of Oz is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 106 of The Catholics of Oz. The Catholics of Oz is a show where we discuss faith, culture, and what's been happening from an Aussie perspective. Whether it's synods or science, apostolates and apps, providence or productivity. You can hear it right now on The Catholics of Oz. Hello, I'm Lindsay Sands and welcome to episode 106. It's a beautiful spring day here in Australia at least. I'm not sure what it's like where you are in your part of the world, but hopefully it's nice. <laughs> but what's also nice is that I am joined by my good friend, Lino Sabal. Lino, how are you this morning? Good, Lindsay. Yes, the weather's been very good so far for us. But oh, Yeah, we're still in spring. Right. OMG, it is the 1st of October. Over tomorrow, I cannot believe. And yeah, our daylight saving starts. We lose yes. an hour of sleep for that day, and then it just goes back Ooh. to daylight savings. Okay, hmm. here's a little travel warning. If anyone is by the time wow. you listen to this podcast, it's too late. But yeah. but if if you arrive in if you arrived mm-hmm. in Australia mm-hmm. last week, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So this is when you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast. Last mm-hmm. weekend on Sunday in Melbourne, and you noticed that people were particularly grumpy. Like more than usual, and you've heard that Australians are really polite. I, I want you to know that Australians are polite. However, we lost an hour of sleep, and there will be a percentage of Melbournians that are very upset if Collingwood lost the grand final. I'm just saying, because those two things are converging at the one time. So I do hope that Collingwood wins. Sorry to the Brisbane fans, the Brisbane Lions, but I would be very worried if we have some very cranky Collingwood fans tomorrow morning yeah, because they yeah. lost sleep and because their team lost it's that's like the yeah, yeah that's good yeah. Uh, yeah competition double trouble yeah, yeah. double trouble yeah, yeah. double trouble yeah. Uh, for, for me trying to think back I can't remember the last time Collingwood did beat Brisbane Lions in the uh, grand final for sure it yeah it would be a tough match it, yeah 2001 Essendon lost to Brisbane and mm. 2002 and 2003, Collingwood lost to Brisbane, both grand yeah. finals. But look, those back in, that's way back. Sports changed, all that stuff. So this is a whole new day, a whole new grand final. And look, these two teams are worthy to be in. I, yes. If everyone knows that, I know, I'll tell you, I like my sport and everything. I follow it a little bit here and there, but those two teams have been doing well this year's season. So yeah. that should be a good match. They've scratched their way through to the final, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and uh, for any American listeners, Australian rules football is that one with the oval shaped ball, just like the NFL. So very similar. Except, yeah. Except we kick it yeah. around, try and catch we kick it, it around, and, hmm. and, and just basically jump all over each other, try to get it, and Ooh. kick it between two sticks. That's pretty much yes. how it works. Yes. Right, Look, that's all you um, need to know. I might be getting into trouble about this, but it is a combination of rugby and Gaelic football. So for the Irish, oh, yeah. Yeah. for mm-hmm. all Irish listeners who were listening. Yeah, it's like that. Like, so instead of Gaelic football where we keep on going, we have to stop every time we mark the ball. That's right. And yeah. yeah, so for Gaelic football, I think they keep on going. And it's like soccer yeah. too. Gaelic, I like Gaelic football. It's like footy and soccer together. That's like the best <laughs> things combined, isn't it? Yeah, best yeah. of both worlds. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So it's like yeah. that. And but it's oh goodness, it can be a bit very rough. So oh yeah, that, that's yeah. our sport. That's our sport. Yes. All right. So with that in mind, let's move on. So first of all, if you're, oh, by the way, she mentioned Caroline is also not with us again today. So Caroline is very busy today. She has young Harry's birthday party. She has family over. She had been a little bit under the weather. So she's just a little bit overwhelmed at the moment. She will be back hopefully soon to take over sites. I would love for her to do that because 
Yeah, because I'm reading We've the science. We've been doing our best. This is yeah. just, um, We've been doing our best. Yeah. Let's just we're, say we're, that sometimes the, the science topics can be harder than Roman concrete. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's hard, all right? That's, that's yeah. yeah. You know the toughness, mm, right? Yeah. 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 Very tough. Yeah. Yeah. No pun intended. Yeah. No pun No, no pun intended. Yeah. Definitely pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. So with that in mind, if you're new to listening to the Catholics of Oz and you're thinking what on earth is going on, subscribe so you can get more. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn or your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to give us a five-star rating and some positive feedback so that we can hear from you and also reach out to new people as well. Building community is what we are all about at this podcast. SQPN also hosts the Catholics of Oz on YouTube. You can subscribe by finding SQPN and hitting the bell to get notifications when new episodes of this show and all of the great shows on StarQuest are released. And I just remembered, I didn't put this on my notes, but I do want to shout out the brand new StarQuest show called Secrets of Sacred Art. They've got a, a new show where they go through a different aspect of sacred art each week. I just listened to the first one and I absolutely loved it. Just listening to people talk about different aspects of art and doing some of their own things creatively was really beautiful. So okay. I just want to recommend that one. Nice. I think Sacred Art is nice. a obviously... Art. I've talked about art on the show before. I'm not an yeah, we have. Like that, I think we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've talked about wow, religious art. Ago. I think yeah. yeah, religious art is just a beautiful way to engage with the gospel and with our faith and, and enhance our prayer life. So I am all for it. I'm all for nice. a show like this. Yes. So with that in mind, let's talk about Faith Beyond Borders. Well, I'm actually feeling rather good about this. I think we've all arrived at a very special place, eh? Oh. Spiritually, ecumenically. How do you make somebody love you without affecting free will? Welcome to my world, son. You come up with an answer to that one, you let me know. Yes, I had to work very hard to pass Latin and theology. Oh, quite. Those are, of course, the most important things. Oh, yeah. I'd sit this one out, Cap. I don't see how I can. These guys come from legend. They're basically gods. There's only one god, man. And I'm pretty sure he doesn't dress like that. I want to visit a topic that we have talked about before, but I, I just want to revisit this. I was going to say one more time, but it won't be one more time because there'll be more later on. <laughs> yes. However, yep. so in the church, the international church, the whole, the worldwide Catholic church at the moment, a big gathering is happening. Not World Youth Day, we've talked about that already, but another, but big in, not in the terms of number of people who are going, but big in its importance for our way of being church into the future. And that is the Synod on Synodality. Now, if you go through Twitter, don't go through Twitter. <laughs> Maybe not, oh. because you'll hear all kinds of interesting oh. theories and yeah. you'll see some oh. combat going on about why we should or shouldn't and why it's from God or why it's from the devil or whatever it might be. Oh what I would suggest is that Beyonce, Beyonce had the best advice, which was to take all of that, put it in a box and move it to the left. I would just say do that. All right. Not okay. the political left, just to your left so it's out of the way, all right? Oh, what I'd suggest okay. is, yeah. <laughs> what I'd suggest is, is people have heard all kinds of things about it and some people are afraid and some people are excited. I would say maybe, and this is just Lindsay talking, all right? I, I'm not the, the arbiter of all knowledge on all of this kind of stuff, but I would say that maybe one way to approach it is prayerfully. This is my advice, is to approach the synod prayerfully. The synod is, in my interpretation, a giant month of prayer. That's essentially what it is. It's a giant month of prayer. And within that prayer is discussion of the different things that are going to be spoken about. Now, we went through the instruments and laboris or working document and the worksheets in a previous episode. 
episode, whatever it was, but it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. No. Yeah. Just flick back a few in the archives. You'll yeah. find it. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. Catholics of Oz greatest hits. You'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Here's one from 2023. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Which was only a few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh my um, goodness me. So fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've discussed the working document and some of the things will be discussed. Obviously, we can't go through the entire document because it's huge and 25 minutes of a podcast to go through it. However, I've encouraged people to read it and I think it's, I think it's worth reading to see what our, our synod gathering is going to be discussing. To add to that though, I wanted to add an Australian perspective on the synod. I've got two to add here. One is a short article that was written by Bishop Shane McKinley on September 26th. Now, Bishop Shane, he was elected by the Australian Catholic bishops to represent Australia, at one of the representatives in Australia at the Synod on Synodality. He was also the vice president of the Plenary Council, which we've spoken also and done an episode on before. I'd like to share some of his thoughts, his pre-Synod thoughts, and then after that, just share some other information on the Synod and really, what I'm trying to do is encourage everyone to pray for the Synod, but more importantly, to pray with the Synod. We have been invited to pray with the Synod members as well, because this is not just the 250 or so delegates in Rome who are doing this synodal process. It's all of us. And look, it is all of us walking together. This is our calling as Catholics. Walk together, share the gospel together, right? Not, not be little islands of faith disconnected from everyone else. So. This is about uniting the church more. So I'll get off my soapbox and stop preaching and I'll actually talk about what Bishop Shane said. Yeah. Walk with me, Lino. (laughs) I will show walk with you, bro. Yeah. yeah, Let's do it. All right. Bishop Shane said the following. He said, later this week, I'll be one of the 15 Australians and hundreds of people from around the world gathering in Rome for the first assembly of what has become known as the Synod on Synodality. So the Synod, this is the first assembly. It'll be followed by a second one in 2024 in October. They're the continuation of what's been dubbed the world's largest ever consultation. He says, when you consider that almost 120 bishops conferences from every part of the world gathered the thoughts of the people of God in their diocese, that claim makes sense. And what he's referring to there is that before the synod, everyone, every Catholic, and in fact, any person who was interested as well, was invited to make contributions to the synod questions that, that had been released. So any diocese, all dioceses were asked to collect responses from Catholics. So anyone who has had the desire to uh, has made a contribution. And we actually went through again. Through that. Collection yeah. Of con- yeah. All right. All of that. And oh, what is, cool. it's a worldwide document. Over 120 or so bishop conferences around the world have made a contribution. And, and it represents the unique and specific things that are going on all around the church, not just yes. in one part of the world. No, no, but, no, one part of the world, yeah. but yeah, everyone else. The yeah. entire. Cool. cool. Yeah. He said the consultation was marked by openness and transparency. And he said that hasn't always been the characteristic of Vatican processes. He says it's it's part of the wider awareness across the church internationally of how much we can learn from good practices in other parts of society. So we know, for example, that good consultation, transparency, we know these are good things to have in any process. If we make decisions but we don't consult... Or if we consult, but we're not transparent about how we looked at people's consultations, then, then people start to get suspicious. How do I know that what I said was listened to? Or why was this decision made? There's no clear link between the feedback that was given and the final need, decision that was made. Yeah, that definitely so, needed. Yeah. And then a lot of our politicians don't really do that at times. But anyway, that's another yeah. subject to talk about. Yeah. We'll start a political part. No, we won't. No, <laughs> yeah. no, no. I'm yeah. sorry. I just yeah. what I mean is it's like, yeah, yeah just being transparent yeah, yeah. about what you're trying to say. And, and yeah. People want to know to make sure yeah. this is good. 
everything. And then, and of course, we got the voice coming, and that's yeah, that's another discussion to talk about some other time. So yeah, 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 you understand, yeah. Yeah, so he goes on to reflect that much like the Fifth Plenary Council, the Synod's process reflects a conviction that by sharing the fruits of the community's prayer, conversation, discernment, we can build a shared spiritual and emotional investment in what's being discussed, as well as having new opportunities to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. The Australian Church has actually done something similar to this already in the Plenary Council. It was a prayerful event as well, where the Australian bishops, as well as the other delegates from all around Australia, were invited to discuss the different areas that had been discerned from our Australian Plenary Council's Instrumentum Laboris. And then from there, they, they discussed, they prayed often, and then they came up with, with resolutions and votes and decisions based on all of that. And again, we've talked about that before. When the Synod opens on the 4th of October, so that will be a couple of days after this, pod, this episode of the podcast is released, yeah, he says there has been some discussion about how the openness and transparency that has been evident over the past three years might work over the next few weeks. And he said this is also similar to what happens during the Plenary Council journey. So with the Plenary Council, 220,000 people had shared their joys and hopes, their griefs and their anxieties. And he said, we wanted to invite those people to continue their journey with the 275 members who participate and, and vote in the councils to assemblies. So at the same time, we wanted to create a protected space for council members to engage in prayerful and deeply personal conversations while sharing the fruits of that discernment with the Australian people. So what he's saying is that on one hand, there needs to be some confidentiality because people yeah, need okay. to be able to free, free to say what they think without it then being thrown back at them. Like, for example, like Lindsay Sand, I overheard him at the plenary council saying X, he said this, and then it ends up in a newspaper or a Catholic newspaper. Oh, but yeah. Yeah, so yeah, then okay. why would Lindsay want to, why would Lindsay want to <laughs> wow. share his thoughts honestly when, when he's being represented or misrepresented maybe in, in a way that's out of context? So there's this balance of transparency and confidentiality as well as that, that needs to be, that needs to happen. He said, the, he said, however, in the Australian Plenary Council's example, the daily updates through stories, photos, and videos sought to capture the essence of the discussions and the spirit, and indeed the spirit, the Holy Spirit, that was present in those conversations. So I remember during the, the Plenary Council, there was a podcast every day and like a, a video Catholic media. So like Catholic media organizations were invited to also interview whoever was brought up as delegates each day to, to, to oh. talk to the media. So that did help with transparency because they honestly shared their thoughts about what happened, but they did it without saying, yeah, but when Lindsay said this, I was really disappointed. So without, without, yeah, so it was done in a spirit of openness and honesty, but without the kind of like intrigue, that kind of stuff, yeah. the sensationalism and, and things like that. He said that the Australian council members were able to share their own experiences and their views on important topics that were on the agenda as they chose. But with an understanding that the, that the views of others were theirs alone to share. You know, yeah. At this stage, it appears that during next month's assembly for the Synod on Synodality, the priority will be ensuring that the confidentiality of the conversations in the spirit is protected so that there can be a free exchange of people's thoughts across the questions that we'll be praying with and reflecting upon. Before I'll discuss that in a moment, I'll just go do this next part. He said that Pope Francis, when he was asked about the synod, said, there is one thing that we must safeguard, the synod synodal atmosphere. This is not a television show where you talk about everything. No, there is a religious moment. There is a moment of religious exchange. 
And he said, we know that faith is one of the most deeply personal parts of our being. Sharing our innermost thoughts on such matters can be hard. And it's certainly important that any vulnerability in those moments is respected. So I guess maybe what's important to say here is that, is that again, this, the synod will have lots and lots of moments of prayer of invoking the Holy Spirit to guide their hearts and maybe our hearts as we pray along with the synod to guide all of our hearts in moving our church to be, again, to work together, to walk together, to pray together, to be more focused on Christ together than we've ever been before. And that's not a bad goal to have. That's, no, no, you know, that's it's a good goal. goal. Our closeness to God as much as we can possibly do through the Holy Spirit is such an important thing. So, however, what it means is there are going to be what he calls conversations in the Spirit. It's in air quotes there in his, in, in his document. And what he means by that is after a period of prayer, people are going to share what has come to them while they prayed about a particular topic. Now, not every view will necessarily be a good one. Some will be great. Some will not be so good. But Mm. that's what discussion and consultation, that's what always happens is you put everything out there and it's discussed and assessed and voted on and it's weighed on its merits. It's made weighed in line with church teaching. It's weighed in line with, is this from Christ or is this not? And I don't, and I think the important thing there is that Sometimes people are going to say things that others might not like, right? And if that was yeah. to end up being reported or used again in sensationalism or something like that, it's a little bit unfair because the conversations are not the final outcome. They are just the journey towards the final outcome. And in fact, the final outcome won't be known until next October in 2024 because this is only part one of a two-part process. So if, if, the, synod were, if the first part of the synod were to end, and media or Catholic media, I'm looking at you, if they were to report church changing, church teaching on this is going to be changed and the church is heading for a disaster or whatever it might be. And you know what? That might sound silly, but people are already writing that before the synods happens, right? That would not be necessarily a mature response to the synod. We're being asked to be mature in the spirits. Those people, organizations that I'm hinting at, you're Catholics too, and I love you. I just want to put that out there, right? However, all of us have a responsibility to report things carefully, all right? To not look at the sensationalism, to not try and dig into what was this conversation, confidential yeah. thing this person said in the spirit. Yeah, we will get exactly. updates. We will get updates. There'll be press conferences in Rome and things like that, which I'm going to struggle to keep up with. And there'll be a final report of the first session. And I think sometimes we have to focus on what's officially stated rather than the intrigue and the mystery and the, the, the agenda sometimes. Like, I know that some people will go there with an agenda to report it badly. Unfortunately, that's just the truth, right? Some people will go there with an agenda to report it over-enthusiastically as well. That, I think that's also bad. I actually enjoyed the Australian honesty of the updates that came out of the Plenary Council daily. And like the honesty was there. There were Indigenous people that said what they thought. There were bishops who said what they honestly thought each day. When the issue of the vote on women's participation in the church, that was a a difficult moment. There was a lot of honesty on that one. And I found that really refreshing because it wasn't about, and there were some Catholic, Australian Catholic media organizations, I think, who were a bit funky in what they reported on. Funky. Putting that aside. Okay. Yeah. Putting Mm -hmm. that aside, that was the minimum compared to the, the refreshing honesty that wasn't about sensationalizing. So I think that's what we have to, to look out for. So to conclude, Bishop Shane, he quotes Paolo Ruffini, who's the prefect on the Vatican's Dicastery for Communications, who said, maintaining the confidentiality, the privacy, and I would say the sacredness of certain places for conversation in the spirit 
is part and parcel of the desire to make these moments a true opportunity for listening, discernment, and prayer rooted in communion. So people will be able to say what they want to say after their prayer in the spirit. And I think this is a very diverse crowd that Pope Francis has called in because, for example, he's brought in... Now, I'm trying to find the words without using political terms. However, in reporting, they will talk about Catholics who are conservative and progressive, right? Blah, 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 whatever. I don't care, right? However, Mm, mm, if you want to use that metric to measure who's going there, there's a mix of both. There's actually a mix of both. So now it's incumbent on them, all of them, as people of the church, to pray in the spirit together and talk and listen and agree and disagree and do this in a way that that is reflective of what it means to be a missionary disciple of Christ. And that's not just for the people who are there. They need to set the example. The rest of us need to follow that example as well. That, That regardless of where we sit on the spectrum, and again, I really hate that. I passionately hate the idea that we have to be progressive or or conservative Catholics or whatever. I think it's nonsense, all right? We are just followers of Christ at the end of the day. Wherever people sit, all of us have a responsibility to be missionary disciples together first. We are, we are funny enough, we're all on the same mission. We're yeah, all on the same mission together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. To finish off this little bit, he says, the Holy Father reminds us the Synod is not a parliament. There you are. So you won't have order, Mr. Speaker. Yeah, all right. And so the proceedings of the Synod will not be captured like a debate in Parliament. However, it's expected that a synthesis report on the First Assembly will be published and that will be used for ongoing discernment by the whole people of God, all of us, in preparation for the next uh, Assembly in October. So with that in mind, we seek the rationale for Pope Francis's desire to safeguard the prayerful exchange of ideas during the Assembly while still promoting participation of all of us, the whole people of God, in the broader synod process. As we Australian participants travel to Rome, we ask you to accompany us in prayer and to stay connected to this ongoing journey of renewal in Jesus Christ. And he says, for our part, we will do what we can to share our reflections on our experiences as part of this global exercise in synodality, both during the assembly and after we return to Australia later in the year. I think this is a really measured approach from Bishop Shane, which is why I used this article. I think this is a really good way to look at it, is that we're going in, we'll experience, and we will share honestly what we experience. And I think that would be a really good thing to do. Drop the bias, drop the the preconceived ideas, or even the already pre-prepared speeches for what we're going to say after the synod before it's even happened, and then speak about the experience of being synodal with your brothers and sisters who you agree and also disagree with as well. I think that's that that's a mature church. It's the kind of church we're looking for. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that, Lido? Yeah, look, this is a good discussion for everyone to have. And uh, yeah, I it, it's good to see people's point of views and how they want to the church to be closer to us and to closer to God and to closer to community. And I guess it will be different with different parishes in different areas, would they, Lindsay? Like yeah. the parishes in like say the more the islander. Um, yes, and there places. is a Pacific Islander contingent mm, going, mm. yeah, bishops yeah. And, and people. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and then I think the celebration of Mass will be celebrated differently and maybe people from different backgrounds will be asking, are we, or are they will be asking, are we doing it the correct way or is there something we can involve the community a bit more within our communities, with the smaller ones as well, and helping the smaller ones grow. Yeah, and the yeah, you know, I can only speak really from the Australian perspective. I'm a member of I'm a member of the Universal Catholic Church. You know, I'm baptized like you are of this Universal Catholic Church. 
Mm, uh, mm. But we live in the particular context of Australia. So I can't yeah, speak yeah. for churches in the United States or in South America or in, in parts of yeah. Europe or yeah, the yeah, Pacific yeah. Islands, wherever it might, mm. or parts of Asia. That's, mm-hmm. this is that, that's why they're all bringing their perspectives. But what yeah. I know is that in our particular context, uh, the church is moving towards missionary discipleship in a bigger way. Correct. Not that we yeah. haven't cared about missionary discipleship before, yeah. but we're moving towards it in a way that focuses on renewing it and deepening it and includes not just you, a couple of Catholics, but everyone, everyone mm-hmm. in a parish understanding that they're a missionary disciple. It's a big goal. It's a, it's a huge goal. It's a difficult and challenging goal, but it's such an important one as well. And yeah. I'd be interested to see what the synod, if the synod is able to produce more for us. What does synodality add to our being missionary discipleships? Taking the way together, listening to each other, those three themes, communion, participation. That's correct. Um, yep. Mission, I think it was the other one. <laughs> so, uh, oh, no, I, I hate listening because I always forget. But, but all of this is what we're being asked to, to overlay into our missionary discipleship as well. So I, like I said, I think this is really important because as I started with, this is about, for me, the synod is about our way of being a church. And I think from what I can see, one of the things is about being more prayerful, more reliance on the Holy Spirit. If we're Catholics, we do things in the context of prayer. It's not about me. It's out. We surrender to God and then we do uh, whatever it is we're being asked to do. And we discern in our context what it is that God is calling us to do so that the face of Christ is seen, not our face, but the face of Christ is seen in our actions and our words and our preaching and our prayer and our gathering and list all those things that we do where Christ yep. needs to be known. So just briefly, and yeah, go on. Yep. No, I'll just quickly no. just like to know is given our prayers more the outreach in the regional areas of our Catholic faith and the communities out there, more the Northern Territory and in the outback areas where there are small Catholic yeah. communities happening. And it's great remote, to know. Remote, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's the word I wanted to say, is yeah. the remote communities. And it's great to know they have their voices will be heard as well and listened to because... It just seems like you know, all, all the bigger areas, <laughs> yeah. it gets all yeah. the more, well, that's what we're hearing and everything. And mm. that's just tell us what the media is like. But yeah. I like, it's great to know these more rural areas and our Catholic faith and a Catholic community are having a voice in what asking, how can we share our love of God throughout yeah. our rural communities and know that. So yeah, yeah. Agreed. Mm. All right. So with that in mind, I wanted to share a brief article. We've actually covered this before, but this simplifies it really nicely. And it is eight things to know about the Synod, the October Synod on Synodality in Rome. This was also published on the 27th of, 27th of September and is written by Maria Weering from OSV News, which I think is our Sunday visitor with the Melbourne Catholic. Now, I'm not going to go extensively into this. I'm just going to do the Spark Notes version. It's a lot briefer. But it's just eight things to know about the Synod. So if you're not sure and you want a really simple explainer, it takes about seven minutes to read. It starts by saying the eyes of the Catholic world will be, will turn to Rome on October 4 as the worldwide Synod of Bishops convenes on the feast of St. Francis of Assisi to focus on synodality, the understanding and understanding what it means in terms of communion, participation, and mission. I was right. Thank God for that in the church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and here's what, what it is how we got here and what to expect. So the first thing is the Synod on Synodality is three years in the making. So this is not a flash out of the pan um, idea, but this has been the preparation for this and the consultation has been going on for at least three years. Synodality is the action of the spirit in the communion of the body of Christ and in the missionary journey of the people of God. And I think I've explained that already, 
but that's a definition of synodality. It's the role of the Holy Spirit in the church and in our missionary activity as baptized people. The third point is a synod is a meeting of bishops. It has ancient roots in the Catholic Church's history and continuity in the Eastern Churches. It did decline in our Latin Church that we're called the, the Latin Rite. The modern synod of bishops was instituted near the end of the Second Vatican Council. So Pope Paul VI brought these synods back in, or renewed them anyway. Number four, the Synod on Synodality is the 16th ordinary synod since the Global Synod of Bishops Institution. Number five, the preparations for the Synod on Synodality sought to be sought to be the most extensive ever with an invitation to every Catholic to provide input. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that ended up in the Instrumentum Laboris, yeah. which we spoke about. Right. Yep. The Synod on Synodality's objective boils down to answering a two-part question. So let's have a look at that briefly. The current synodal process we are undertaking is guided by a fundamental question. How does this journeying together take place today on different levels? from the local one to the universal one, allowing the church to proclaim the gospel? And what steps is the Spirit inviting us to take in order to grow as a synodal church? So that's the question that's part of the focus there. And then there's, in terms of communion, participation, and mission, how can we be more fully a sign and instrument of union with God and of the unity of all humanity? So there's, there are a lot of questions there for them to have a look at. Number seven, for the first time ever, non-bishops, including laymen and women, have a vote in the Synod, and we broke down those statistics in, in our previous episode, but it's here in the article if you'd like to have a look. And October 8th's meeting is just the beginning. What's that song? It's only the beginning? Yeah. Uh, oh, so there's so many songs with that faith, bro. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, this is just the beginning. What I thought should be, I've already mentioned that the, the part two will, the second session of the Synod, it's not actually ordinary to have two parts usually it's just oh. one part in a synod so oh, wow. this is okay. unique in the oh. sense that there are two part one and part two in the modern church anyway oh okay but, but there's a few things to know that this is a very i mentioned it's very prayerful and I'm, i can't understate this or overstate it enough i should say so prior to the synod pope francis and this has already happened at time of recording or is going to happen actually pope francis will preside over an ecumenical prayer vigil at saint peter's square on 30th september the participants will attend a retreat from the 30th of September to the 3rd of October in Sacrifano, about 27 k's north of Rome. The retreat includes morning meditations offered by Dominican Father Timothy Radcliffe of the United Kingdom and the Benedictine Reverend Mother Maria Ignazia Angelini of Italy and afternoon small groups as well as mass. And the reason for this is I think what's going on here is that the synod members are going to be shown the prayerful way Start the prayerful exercises yes. now before the synod begins. So synod moving begins, into yeah. that, yeah, because yeah. this is a whole month of prayer. This is a big deal, right? This is going to be very exhausting in some ways because they're really going to be deepening their bonds with God in a big way. So these two spiritual teachers are going to be showing them how to do that, leading them into it so that people aren't just turning up there for a parliament, but they're turning up there with the attitude of prayer. The Taze community and other organizations are organizing to meet in Rome on a weekend called Together, Gathering the People of God, for young people to pray for the Synod. And the Synod's General Assembly, as we mentioned, opens on the 4th of October with a papal mass that includes new cardinals created at the 30th of September consistory. So there's some fun facts about the Synod, and this article will be in our show notes. Uh, Lino, before we move on, anything else you wanted to add? Who are the Taze? Taze? Yeah, so Taze is, it's a beautiful form of prayer. 
and it's it's chanting. So they sing uh, a Teze hymn is a hymn that is usually one or two or three lines that you repeat over and over again over a period of time. So it's very slow, oh. very me- meditative. It, usually they'll take a line from the gospel. Like there was, there's one that goes, yeah, usually actually they're in, in Latin, but there's also, yeah, so sometimes yeah. you might pray or sing them in Latin, but you, if you know what the meaning of the words are, which they should probably tell you beforehand, you, you're, <laughs> you're concentrating a lot on what you're saying. But there are things like Jesus saying to his apostles, that there's one that goes, I'm not going to sing it, it goes, stay with me, remain here with me, watch and pray watch and pray. And this is Jesus before when he goes to pray on his own in the garden before he's arrested. Okay. He tells them, stay and pray. So they turn that into a line that people sing and you sing it over and over again. And this could be 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. And you sing it together. And it's a, it is a beautiful way to pray. I've experienced it before a few times at different like camps and things like that. And it is, and it just, it seems like it, it, it seems like when I say half an hour, you might think, Oh my gosh, I can't do that. But it goes by so quickly because you are so deep in the movement of prayer. And as you're repeating this line, these lines, it stays with you afterwards Mm. as well. Watch and pray. And you become part of that, that, that scripture passage. And it's quite beautiful. Yeah, I recommend if anyone wants to just Google Taze hymns and have a look at some of them. There's one, oh, which one? I forgot what it is. But there are one or two in our in our worship books for Easter, for Good Friday. There are actually a couple of Taze hymns in the Australian um, oh, really? songbook. Yeah, I think it's songbook number oh, three or whatever oh, it is. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I forgot what they were, but there's some Taze. Maybe it is Watch and Pray. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, but oh, there, oh, oh, oh. there are some really beautiful ones. Yeah. There's one that says simply where I think where there is God, there is love. And I think you sing that over and over again. Yeah. There are just some beautiful nice. phrases that you just sing over and over again and you're deepened into it. So cool. if you haven't experienced Taze prayer, anyone have a go, find someone, look it up online, no. have a go. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely yeah. beautiful way to pray. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I just wanted that question. I was like, is that a, I thought the Taze community was, is that a place how it yeah, is? It's, like, um, you know, like an Austin yeah, community yeah, uh, or a Danon community. Yeah. Like, oh, the Taze uh, community, are they? Taze oh, prayer okay. comes out of France. I don't know if the place was called Taze, but it, it okay. comes out of France. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, nice, nice, there, nice. There's a Taze okay. community, yeah. Um, cool, cool. Caroline and I actually have an uncle, uh, our uncle Michael, if you're listening, hello, Uncle Michael, uh, he, uh, <laughs> who, who travels and, and does Taze prayer. He's talked about how much, how beautiful it is as well. Nice, and I've seen, nice. and I've seen when I went to Malta in 2016, I got really excited by this, his little setup, little Taze setup with, with like beautiful statues and, and prayers mm. and icons and things like that. It's, yeah, nice. it's a very okay, cool. deep and spiritual way to pray. It, it, I can't recommend it and endorse it enough. Honestly, mm. it's beautiful. Yeah. Cool. Okay. That's, yeah. That's, 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 yep. 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 All right. With that, let's move on and let's, let's have a go at talking about science. <laughs> A fine day for science. You have any hobbies? I collect spores, molds, and fungus. Can you reverse the polarity? I'll do my best. All right, so if ever oh. I needed someone to oh, tase, they pray for me. Man. This would be it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, here we so go. So, Lino, we, I'm not going to do a tally of our topics because as you and I, when Caroline hasn't been able to do science, we've had some very interesting ones. Yeah, so this one doesn't involve robots. It doesn't involve mushrooms. It, it doesn't involve concrete. All right. But it does involve dinosaurs. So let's move on to it. Yeah. <laughs> we'll try so, uh, this out. Okay. So I'm going to do my best to wade through this one. 
So the, the article that I'm using is from Science News and it's called, it's titled, New Computer Analysis Hints Volcanism Killed the Dinosaurs, Not an Asteroid. Interesting topic because what if we, we've always been told an, yeah. it was an asteroid impact, right? an asteroid. Or asteroid yeah. or asteroids? Uh, no, no, asteroid. It was a massive impact. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the, the Mexican impact site in, I hope I get this right, Chichalub, the Chichalub crater is this massive crater that shows, which is a, an impact crater from an, an asteroid colliding with the earth many million years ago and, and wiping out the dinosaurs. Now, this article challenges that doesn't mean that it's correct. I need to point this out. In fact, there are some challenges to the assumptions made at the end, which I'll go through as well. But th- th- this is interesting because they used a computer analysis. They plugged some variables into a computer and then the computer came up with what's the most probable outcome for what killed the dinosaurs. So I'll talk about what the computer says happened and how that was, is being challenged by different science, scientists. If anything, it doesn't really, I don't know, does it change our understanding of how dinosaurs were wiped out? Maybe not, but, it, but it's interesting. I'll just say that. In terms of discussion and looking at all the variables, this is an interesting one. So basically, here's what happens. For decades, scientists have vigorously debated whether an asteroid strike or massive volcanic eruptions ended the reign of dinosaurs 66 million years ago. Roughly three quarters of all life on Earth, including all non-bird dinosaurs, were extinct at that time, putting a dramatic end to the Cretaceous period. So researchers have devised a new way to identify the true dino killer. Let computers take a crack at it. So they're basically asking chat GPT. No, it's what I was going to say. Out, ask like, AI. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> a lot more advanced than that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so after their computational efforts, it says here, the outcome from the computer was that the massive bursts of gas produced by the Deccan Traps eruption was solely responsible for causing the extinction event. I needed to look up what the Deccan Traps were because I had no idea. But they are an area of India that were basically evidence of massive, and we're talking about huge volcano flows, right? And there's actually a photo in the article. If you've got the article there and you scroll down, you'll see this, this evidence of these massive, it was an area of massive volcanic activity. Not anymore. Now it's dormant or whatever. There's no volcano there now. That is huge. I think, yeah. that, that area but, yeah. is huge. It's, like a, it's a, a massive river. area. Oh, yeah. Well, lava so coming the, through. Oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you were there, it would be amazing to see. You'd be dead, but it would be amazing to see. <laughs> so the eruptions from the Deccan Traps lasted roughly a million years and spewed massive amounts of gas-ridden lava across what's now Western India. So the computer believes, the computer is based on the evidence it's been given anyway, it says it's the gases from this lava that killed, that, that wiped out the dinosaurs and any non-bird-like species. Rather than come at it from the perspective of let's blame the volcanoes and explain why, or let's blame asteroids and explain why, the goal was to have as little human input or bias in the process as possible. And this is from Dartmouth computational geologist Alexander Cox. So the idea was, if we just plug the variables into a computer, what would a computer say? So... Yeah, so the idea was to work backwards using evidence from the scene of the crime. Scientists do have a smoking gun. They they have cores drilled into deep ocean sediments, which contain geologic data pointing to deadly bursts of gas to the atmosphere, particularly planet-warming carbon dioxide and ocean-acidifying sulfur dioxide. He says, yeah, but it says, but such gases could have come from the asteroid strike as it incinerated rocks on the planet's surface, Cox says or from the Deccan Traps eruption. 
So previous efforts to understand the source of the gases have focused on timing, examining pulses of lava placement during the Deccan Traps eruptions. And there's a link to that in the, in the article if you want to investigate that further. But Cox says we only have best guesses about how much initial gas was in the lava. Estimated carbon dioxide concentrations in the lava, for example, vary by an order of magnitude, he says. So that's why we approach this from a gas emissions perspective rather than a lava flow perspective. The researchers, they used a statistical model called a Markov chain Monte Carlo approach, to which I say, well done. I have no idea what that is. So that part, <laughs> maybe Caroline can do more, some more yes, research yes, into. Yes, yes. But that's <laughs> yes. what they used. If any scientists okay. out there, you can decide if that's good or not. But that approach systematically considers the probability of different scenarios of gas emissions from different sources converging towards possible solutions as the result of simulations move closer and closer to geologic observations. Yes, I read that word for word because I have no idea what it means. Anyway, <laughs> no, but basically, look, basically, the, it's, all the, it's the probability of all these different scenarios coming together, mm. did it, and what outcomes can we get from that? So what made their approach powerful is that they harnessed 128 different processors, ORS, to run scenarios in parallel. So oh, okay. they've got all these powerful yeah, computers yeah. all running together. The processors then compared how they're doing at the end of every model run, like classmates comparing answers. Or oh. in Catholic talk, they had a computer synod. There you go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although there was no praying. Yeah, the computers didn't pray. But anyway, they, they didn't rely on the Holy Spirit for the outcome in this case. <laughs> but that parallel computing meant that computations would otherwise have ta- that would have taken a year took only a few days. So oh, again, wow. this was a That's very fast. powerful process yeah, yeah that's a real so process. lots of data yeah. that they had to yeah to work with so the observations that were used for the computers to process were data collected from three cores drilled so this is core samples they drill out of the ground which are many millions of years old so these are deep sea sediments that spanned 67 million to 65 Goodness years ago me. wow yeah wow so just a little bit ago yeah and in these <laughs> sediments Foraminifera ocean-dwelling microorganisms whose carbon carbonate shells contain different isotopes or forms of carbon and oxygen. So within the shell of these fossils and sediments is carbon and different okay. isotopes of carbon. So okay. very yep, old yep. and that can be used as part of the measurement. measurement. So the shell's chemical makeup records the ocean chemistry at the time of their formation. So that can be used as a proxy to infer past global temperatures as well as how many creatures were thriving in the oceans and how much carbon was moving between the atmosphere, ocean, and land. And remember that the theory that the computers came up with is that it's the carbon and other gases from the lava, lava. that wiped everything out. Yeah, they were, so, yep, they would have. Yeah, so these proxies can be used to measure how much carbon, how much life there was at that particular time. The simulations determined that the amount of gas spewed into the atmosphere from the volcanism alone was enough to account for the changes in temperature and carbon cycling determined from the foraminifera uh, data in the drill cores. So the computers decided, yep, the gases did it, right? As for the asteroid strike, which formed the massive Chicxulub crater in what's now Mexico, it probably did not produce a big spike in carbon dioxide or sulfur dioxide. And this is, again, what the computer analysis found from, from crunching all the numbers. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So that's the conclusion that these, that these supercomputers made with the data they were given. Does the science community agree? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. All right, so now, yeah. yeah. So but, let's let the, yeah. Yeah, go on. No, but I understand both sides. Yeah, Lindsay? Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense that if there was a lava eruption and like you're saying, all the gases and everything just contaminated. And, and millions of years worth of millions. eruptions as well, right? Exactly. A, it, a massive, uh, it's not one volcano. It's about a huge, 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 huge. It yeah. would have, the sad reality was, it, it did wipe out the whole dinosaurs and it would have wiped It's entirely possible, right? Always. Yeah. 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 Mm. However, not all scientists agree with the modeling from the computer. All right, and this is where scientific debate goes on. In fact, I think the conclusion would still be that it would it was the asteroid. However, it, it is interesting because it, cre- it generates important debate. Here's the kind of the rebuttal of all that. But many scientists are not convinced that these findings provide the ultimate answer to this long-standing complex no, question. No, I don't think right? it would be. It's, it's an ultimate yeah answer. I, I, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So Sierra Peterson, who's a geochemist at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor said it's an elegant way to address the problem. It gives freedom to find consensus solution. It takes multiple proxy records into account, but says, however, like any model, output depends on input. input. And this, all right, so, correct. Yes, correct. Yeah, so I, the I scientists were able to, yeah. yeah, they were able to wipe out bias, human bias, which is really good, but the computers can only work with the information that they're given. Given, and, yeah, 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 that makes sense, yeah. Yep. So the question that the scientists have is, was the input enough for an accurate, an accurate conclusion to be made? Peterson notes that foraminifer shells are not an ideal proxy for ancient temperatures. Uh, the oxygen isotope ratios in these shells can change not only due to temperature, but also due to seawater composition. Different temperature proxies would likely lead to different patterns of gas release reproducing models. So now seawater affecting the composition and temperature of the seashells could also account for the, these isotope ratios yeah, in the shells. Yes. And this could change the computer or influence the computer's processing mm. and outcome. She adds the mass extinction culprit then, she says, it's a bit of a leap to say that this study shows the impact that the asteroid impact didn't cause the extinction. I think what it shows is that the impact was likely not associated with large gas release, but the asteroid, she says, could still have had other deadly impacts on the planet's environment. So the computers, she says, are probably accurate in saying that gases weren't released by the asteroid impacts. Yes, that was the volcano. But she says, what about the other effects of a deadly impact of an asteroid? So she's uh, so um, Elio climatologist from the University of Connecticut who says, says that the Chicholub impact led to many devastating effects beyond carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide emissions, which are explored in the study. So those massive clouds, for example, of soot and dust that were kicked up from the pulverized rocks due to the impact impact, is another thing. Yep. Research has suggested in the past that this dust may have dimmed the amount of sunlight reaching the Earth by as much as 20%, which most likely induced a frigid winter, which changes the, the habitats the animals rely on. And swiftly killed off, killed off the habitats and plants, which then had this knock-on effect to dinosaurs and other non-bird species as well. Mm. So, what's more, the new study suggests that the asteroid impact didn't have a long-term effect on the planet's carbon cycle, based on carbon isotope data recorded in the former, sorry, former Minerva shells for the million years after the extinction. There was an abrupt drop in the abundance of those creatures corresponding to the time of the impact. Table says. And says this, the rapid rate of change caused by the Chicholub impact was likely responsible for its effects on life. Okay. Yep. So to conclude, it says many geochemical records spanning the extinction event, as well as this modeling work, 
cannot capture well the rates of change associated with the Chicheloup impact. And this is Tava speaking as well. The impact, he says, may have released significantly less carbon dioxide and sulfur dioxide than the Deccan traps, but it did so almost instantaneously. So even if the asteroid impacts released fewer gases overall, mm-hmm. Tabor says the speediness of the, that release could have been devastating all the same. Yeah. Does the modeling help us reach a definitive conclusion that's, uh, that volcanic gases killed all the dinosaurs? No, it doesn't. No. But it does, but, it does release the, this interesting conversation over the effect of the gases, the effect of the asteroid impact and the ongoing Im- impacts, sorry about the pun, of the, of the asteroid in Chicheloub as well. Mm. There, there's some, some interesting things to think about. And if any American listeners made their way to Mexico and, and has seen the impacts crater, we'd love to, to hear what your, your yeah, thoughts on this I, are I, as well. I'll have to and, go back and yeah, yeah. have a look at Google and have a look at this. But yeah, it looks, yeah. Whoa, wow. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone has any thoughts on what killed the dinosaurs, we would love to know. And you are not allowed to say it was aliens. It was not <sighs> aliens. And definitely not. Yeah, no, definitely I, not. Unless there was like unless there was like a learner driver alien who you know who made a mistake, took a wrong left at a traffic light, and hit an asteroid and knocked it in Earth's direction. All right, I'll give you that. But uh, no, definitely. But you're going to have to dig really deep to prove that to us. Yeah. It was like, like we we still have asteroids still falling onto Earth, but of course they are much much smaller. At the start, they are big, and you know what it is: they disintegrate in the atmosphere and just become. Yeah. Little tiny things and, and it, little shooting good. stars for us to enjoy in the night sky. Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, and look, I must admit, both sides of the story of my story of the research and everything that's been going on, and I understand people you know, concerned putting the the amount of information they can into a computer. It's like saying, "I make a you want to make a coffee. The only thing you put in is just the coffee beans. That's it. You know, you know what I mean. So that that's coffee for you." <laughs> It, maybe yeah. then we have to put more research into putting what's going on. But, yeah, what's going into it. But yeah, now I want coffee, yeah. thanks. Oh, sorry, yeah. We use computer modeling already, really, but it has a well, lot of true. potential and it, it can it do some pretty amazing things. And I think that scientists probably just need to consider what data they're inputting yeah, because, yeah, again, yeah, uh, look, yeah. what were they trying to do? They were trying to come up with a consensus that erased human bias. And I like that. That's good. Yeah, so that you're not leading towards a conclusion before even, even, before even starting the experiment, right? Experiment. So exactly. computers won't. Exactly. I, I don't think computers have bias. I hope unless they're, yeah, maybe they have less bias either way. It's yeah. the only way they can yeah. have bias is being programmed from us. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the only way they, they have a bias, but that's it. Yeah, that's it. Oh, my yeah, goodness me. Boom, there you are. Oh, yeah. remember those days? Oh, Happy wow. Science. Yeah, I know, that's right. I think we yeah. still have bias, so, but anyway, yeah. yeah. And if anyone works in this field that you're listening, I'd, if you'd like to share a short statement or something for us yeah. to clarify, we'd love to know. Yeah. yeah All right. Cool. With that, let's uh, roar our way into entertainment. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. It's not what we came here to do. No. It's what I'm going to do. I have a plan. You've got a plan. I have... So, yeah, let's talk about entertainment. This is going to be mm. a brief one. So, yep. Lino, you told me that you were trekking your way through yes, some more stuff. It's been uh, good. Next generation? Yeah. It's been good. It's been good. Like, so Where are you up to, to now? Where are you? Yeah. Yep. We're up to our last season of Next Gen. Maybe episode 10. Don't quote me. So, it's been you're good. Almost there. Yep. Yeah, almost there. It's almost there. So, we're like, 
it's been been good, been good. I think off air well, I've asked you the movies are on Netflix, but unfortunately not here. It, no, it, um, they're all on Paramount Plus. Paramount yeah. Plus. And I was yeah. looking forward to. I know you will talk. We'll talk about this yeah. soon. I wanted to watch Love of Dex, and that's been yeah. taken by Paramount Plus as well. I yep. love that show, but now you're like, oh. which I've been enjoying, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, you, yeah, I, I think because I know that you're doing this to prepare for Star Trek Picard. Mm. You really do need to watch the movies, watch the movies. and not all of so them. But I, look, I just say watch all of them anyway. Yeah, I'd say watch yeah, all yeah, of them yeah. anyway. You kind yeah, of yeah, because yeah, yeah. there's lots of the thing is Star Trek Picard has lots of subtle hints and sometimes deep cuts and sometimes previous things that have happened impact mm. the current story in Star Trek Picard. So you, cool. If you want the cool. full experience, the the nostalgic kick that comes out of it, you, yeah, yeah, you need to watch the movies. Even interestingly. The soundtrack from one of the movies impacts impacts the series in a way which I can't yeah. talk about. Yeah, okay, cool, which cool, cool, I kind of cool, love. Cool. I actually like what they did with it. But yeah, that's, <laughs> so even like soundtrack, like little bits yeah. and pieces of like yeah. hints from from movies that they insert. Oh. It's really smartly done. So, nice. Yeah, nice, Star Trek nice, Picard nice, is nice. great. I love the third season is is great. But uh, yeah, if you want to watch the third season, yeah, you got to watch the movies. And cool. I really you oh. have to watch a bit of Star Trek Voyager as well. A true. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I hate to do this to you. I have you watched Deep Space Nine? <laughs> you know what? Actually, I've now watched, I think about I it, I have to watch Voyager and right. Deep Space Nine. Sorry to say this, Birdie. but yeah, Bernadette's <laughs> going to have to. Watch. Yeah, now that I think about it, yeah, you you need to watch Deep Space Nine for it to oh, make no. sense in a lot of ways too. I'm so really? sorry. Yeah, oh, I was um, going through Quark all over again, and oh, I didn't. That's oh, great. Like, Quark, yeah. Quark is all right at Deep Space Nine, but yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, so keep at it. You'll be rewarded for your efforts. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Uh, I'd have to ask Bernadette oh, if she wants yeah. to just finish next journey, just get yeah. back in Picard. I may yeah, introduce tell her, her she needs to, to watch. Yeah. Uh, I, while we're watching Picard, I'll tell her the characters yeah. from there and then ask her, mm. would you love to go back to Voyager and on this baseline yeah. and see those characters if you want to know. Put it this way. About them. Put it mm. this way. The antagonist is related to Deep Space Nine. <sighs> A significant character in Star Trek Picard Actually, two of the characters, one significant, one minor, okay. related to Star Trek Voyager. Oh, wow. I'm sorry, Lino. You, you're just going to have to do oh, your homework. Fuck. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. We can go for yeah. No. Yeah. Good luck. No. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Enjoy that. I've been watching. <laughs> Look, yeah. Star Trek's awesome. I, I love yeah. watching it. I've been watching Lower Decks. I've been enjoying all the episodes. As always, there's a bit of grown up humor, so you can't watch it with your kids. Most of it's really like most of the shows, the episodes are really funny. There was a great moment, which is non-spoiler, so I'll just talk about it. There's a, a really funny moment in one episode where where the Cerritos has been taken over and the people are taking the ship back to their home planet. But to get to their home planet, they have to go through the Romulan neutral zone, which is a big, you know, right? Is it causes intergalactic war and so galactic on. Galactic war if they so, want to yeah. go back again. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, they managed to get the ship back. And the captain runs to the console and stops the ship and then turns it around. And as they turn around, a Romulan ship decloaks. And then the crew, like they're watching the ship get close to the line and then turn around and disappear. And the, the crew all go, oh, because they wanted to like, yeah, they wanted to blow it up. And then and, yeah, and the captain says something like, oh, you really thought they were going to cross the neutral zone, everyone? Come on. He goes, let's, let's cloak the ship and go to sector 87. He goes, we can lurk over there. <laughs> it's, it's very <laughs> It's so silly. It's just that I love it. So funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, that that part, like the whole episode, I was like, uh, and then I saw that I just died laughing. It was so funny. I was just like, it came out of nowhere. He's like, wicked lurk over there. Very good. Yeah. Brief one for me. This one is children's sports. I've been on school holidays. It does not feel, I feel like I need another week. Oh, I've been doing, so yeah, I started the first few days sick. Then it was all about Damien's tennis and Alexander's swimming and my schoolwork. And I actually haven't had a break yet. So uh, yeah, I'm going to start term four in a very interesting way. way, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Anyway, welcome to life. What has been a highlight though is that, uh, yeah, Damien. So Alexander has been doing like these swimming lessons. Alexander's five now. We've been doing a lot of catch up. They, the, his swimming place does a, like an accelerated program during the holidays. So he basically just does four days of, or four mornings of swimming lessons, which has been good. So that's been good for him. Yeah. So wow. just like four, four half an hour sessions in a row, instead oh, of like right. once a week. Yeah. Okay. So it means Isabel okay. and I have been getting up early and taking swimming on the holidays. So that's all right. Cool. And then the other one is Damien, as parents, we listen to our kids and we try and see how they're going. So this all started because Damien played a tennis match as part of his weekly club competition, you know, club, or season club competition competitions. Yeah, yeah. about four weeks ago, whatever it was, five weeks ago. He played this match that, that he should have won. Like, and he, he knows he should have won. And we all know, right? But yeah. he well, froze up I in the match. We were there when we watched it. Oh, I, no, this was look, the week before. This oh, was the before. week before. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the one we didn't so the one that you finals. watched that he lost, mm. this was a kid who was way higher than him. And that, that was fine, right? That was good experience for him. So oh. there's no issue there, right? Mm-hmm. Remember, we were all proud of him because he played well in that match. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, I'm sorry. I have but to the say, week, but yeah. he, he had to play in the wind. Yeah. And that was the wind. Yeah. We talked. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Goodness me. Yeah, but he froze up in this match that he lost. Like he played, but like he just froze. He played really safe and he got creamed, right? He just got, he got destroyed in this match and he was really bummed about it. Like he was really down in the dumps and, and like kids go through, our kids all go through ups and downs and whatever. And so I was trying to find a way to help him to remind him that it's okay that, that it happens to all of us. But I was also trying to help him break out of that mentality that it might happen again, that he might freeze again. The first thing I did was is I got some motivational phrases. I Googled how to motivate your kids in their sports as a parent. So without being an obsessive parent, like, oh, you should have won. That was terrible. What was going on? Like, but they're more positive. So uh, I found these seven, seven tips and I turned them into phrases and slogans and I printed them. I put them all over the house. So he sees them all the time now, wherever he goes, just to help him out. And we discussed it and everything. And then I found out that Melbourne Park, where the Australian Open happens, they have a, like, they have, they call it a camp. It's not actually a camp. It's just like four days in a row of tennis lessons, but it's intensive, right? In the sense that instead of being an hour of tennis, it's like going to school and doing tennis all day. Whoa, yeah. Wow. So I booked three days of that for him and he really loved it. It was really good, right? And then he wanted to put it to the test. And we found out that there's this universal tennis rating that all players, even kids can sign up for. Cool. And then they can play universal tennis rating tournaments. So. He played a tournament. I think I talked about this last episode already. He played a tournament where he yes. lost the first match, then won the next. Discovered. Won, won, lost, yeah. oh, sorry, won the next yeah. two. Yeah. Yeah. And he beat the kid who beat the kid that beat him. I think I mentioned that as well. <laughs> and, and really what happens, that that's tournament culminated in him finding his tennis. He found, right. he found that's right. his style and he yes. used it to great. You know, and he beat a kid that he thought was actually, he actually thought it was guaranteed that the kid was going to beat him, right? Mm. They end up having this epic clash and congratulations to both of them on, an, on a stunning match, these two kids, right? Damien and this other kid that he played. And I actually had a really good chat with the parents during the match and after about just how excellent these two kids played together. Then Damien did another tournament yesterday at time of recording 
And this one was a, they had to play two sets to win. So to win, it was a, this was a six game set rather than a four game fast four format. So yes, yeah, this was the okay. full thing. Yeah. And so basically there were four, four other players in his, in his division. And in this case, it was elimination, right? If you won, you moved to the final match. If you lost, you played a consolation match against the other person who lost their other match. So Damien brought his, his new tennis style in. And he beat the first one 6-2-6-2, which was great. The other player also played well, but in the end, Damien just got the points where it counted. So he won 6-2-6-2. Then he played an even more challenging kid who played really well, but then he managed to win. So he, the first set was really tense, tense in the sense that like it's, it's a heart stopper, not because the, because the kids were fighting or anything, right? Just really tense. Damien got it to a tiebreaker. Oh, so he was man. down 6-5 and got it to it? a... First set, oh, got it wow. to a six-all tiebreaker, oh, and then he, me. yeah, and then he confidently won the tiebreaker seven-three. Thank God, after all the, the tension of my heart was in my mouth, <laughs> and, and I have to, as a parent, I have to sit there and keep my mouth shut. Like, I, yeah, so that yeah, is so true. that happened. It, yeah, yeah, um, you can always cheer. Yeah. Yeah, we always cheer and everything, but you don't, yeah. can't do too much. Yeah, I can yeah, you don't want to put the kids off, right? Because they're yeah. children at the end of the day. And then he won the second set six-two comfortably, thankfully. And, and I, I think maybe the other kid might have got a bit discouraged because he'd come so far in that first set and then he dropped it in a tiebreaker, which psychologically you have to recover from. It is a psychological exactly. game yeah. too. This is where so, all the greatest players come from. Yeah. They've been through this. They've gone down yeah. a set, two or three sets, three sets. Yeah. The game's over. But two sets down. It, you've you got to work yourself, hard, dig deep to come and back. Dig and, deep, and that's how this yeah. where you go. Yeah. Yeah. So they rallied really well, but Damien had the cool. edge and he won that. He won the second set 6-2 and he came away with a trophy. So he was a singles Yay! champion for that tournament, which was no, great. No, so he'll nice. be looking to play another tournament as well, but that was as well, but that was really good of him. He felt really good. So we went from a place of, again, this is about parenting your kids in sports, right? He went from a place where he was rock bottom and he's come back and he feels on top of the world. Not arrogant or anything, but just he feels more confident about confident, his tennis yeah, now. So, exactly. Yeah. And as a parent, thank God, mission accomplished. There was a lot of prayer involved in this as well. Not like I pray he wins, but I pray that he finds himself. And exactly, that, the journey. That the spirit will open his heart throughout the what to, he's going on. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah j- just to play good tennis, not to win tournaments, yeah. but just yeah. to, but to say, all right, I lost the match, but I, but know that he played well in it. He found the courage to to stick to it, and yeah, exactly. and yeah, he came away with a tournament win, which was both of us didn't expect, but we're really happy about. It was, it was a big battle that last match, so. Good on him. Nice, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's finish off the show. Before we go, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the Catholics of Oz. And today, we'd love to thank Tim N, Rocco F, JS, Ryan H, and Patrick C. Through their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give, they make it possible for the Catholics of Oz and all the other shows at StarQuest to continue. You can visit them. Now you can join them. You can't visit them. That would be a breach of privacy. Oh! But you can join them. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Also, we'd love to know your thoughts on the topics that we've discussed today. You can send us feedback by visiting sqpn.com slash oz, where you can get our links and show notes for today's episode. Don't forget to sign up to the StarQuest newsletter to get updates about your favorite shows, sqpn.com slash about slash newsletter, and to discuss our shows on Discord at sqpn.com slash discord. And you can come to our own Facebook page, Catholics of Oz, uh, sorry, facebook.com slash Catholics of Oz, spelled O-Z, and uh, also join SQPN on all of its socials at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and anywhere else where it is. Also, you can reach us by email at Catholics of Oz at sqpn.com. 
Lino, thank you so much for being part of the show today. It has been absolutely amazing. I can't believe that dinosaur. And now it's yep. being oh, it's moving and it sounds so good. So good. Cool. Yeah. Yep. No, it's awesome. So look and see what happens with the Synod and what do you think about asteroids and gases and what killed the dinosaurs? You want that, to know. That was going to be a good debate. Oh, no, no, yeah. debate. Sorry, my bad. Discussion. Scientific yeah. debate. So it's a, discussion. It's scientific yeah. discussion. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. Marked by synodality. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Please. yes, please. Yes, please. Yeah, please. Don't, don't yeah. be so bad, man. Yeah. And once again, I'm Lizzie Sad, and thank you so much for joining us for episode 106 of The Catholics of Oz on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy The Secrets of Stargate. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Stargate. We'd like to thank Patrick McCaffrey of Moonshadow Studios for editing this episode. To have your audio edited professionally and with care, check out more of Patrick's work at moonshadowstudios.biz. That's moonshadowstudios.biz.